Please pray with me. God, open our heart to the new thing you would have us hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and I actually do know who's playing, but mostly because of the underinflated football scandal that was in the news. It's fair to say that I am both neutral and detached from the outcome of today's game. On the other hand, Marin County was in the national news this past week as well. In the New York Times, NPR, and NBC News, Marin County holds the dubious honor of having one of the highest rates in California of personal belief exemptions for immunizations. That means people opting out of having their children immunized for personal reasons. This made the national news because of six-year-old Rhett Crawett. Rhett went through over three years of chemotherapy for leukemia, and now he's in remission, but he has a weakened immune system. It'll be a while before he's strong enough to get his vaccinations. In the meantime, he and his family count on the rest of us to be immunized. On Wednesday, a case of measles was confirmed in Marin. Measles was declared eradicated from the United States in 2000. And then people quit immunizing their kids. Rhett's parents are understandably worried. I don't know where you stand on the issue of personal belief exemptions for people whose personal belief boils down to, I don't believe the science. But I'll confess that I am neither neutral nor detached because Rhett Crawett is my next-door neighbor. I watched his parents go through hell and back as their infant son was diagnosed with and then treated for a deadly disease. Rhett's situation and my connection to it point to the two most important questions raised by the 1 Corinthians passage this morning. To what extent are our individual freedoms curbed by our responsibility to community? And what difference does our answer to that question make when we are actually in relationship with people impacted by our decisions? The fact situation Paul describes in this passage seems strange to us today. Many religions flourished in first-century Corinth, and most included the sacrifice of animals to various gods and goddesses. Once the animals were sacrificed, the extra meat was sold in markets. Was it okay for a Christian to buy and eat this meat? Those who claimed to have greater knowledge in the Corinthian community, those who thought of themselves as more sophisticated, perhaps, said, why not? Because, after all, they knew that the so-called gods that these sacrifices celebrated were really illusions or superstition. They knew there is only one true God. They felt perfectly free to eat this meat, and they flaunted it around others in their community who thought it was wrong. We don't know exactly why the others thought it was wrong. Somehow they thought eating this meat would link them to idol worship. The only way that I've been able to connect this to my personal experience is that when I was a kid, 
Ouija boards were popular at slumber parties. I don't know if kids still play with Ouija boards, but it's sort of a game, sort of a fortune-telling device, sort of a way to contact spirits. I had a friend who belonged to a church that said she was not allowed to play with a Ouija board because it was idolatrous. My family went to church every Sunday, and no one had warned me to stay away from Ouija boards. So I asked my mother, was there something wrong with Ouija boards? No, she said, because there is nothing real about them. This is the same argument made by the knowledgeable Christians in Corinth. Now, Paul agreed in principle, but he says there is another consideration. The so-called knowledgeable Christians were hurting their brothers and sisters. They put their personal freedom ahead of relationship, and it divided the community. Paul says the knowledge of the meat-eating group is illusory because they've missed what is most important, and that is love. Knowledge doesn't automatically lead to compassion or to empathy, to understanding things from another person's perspective. Knowledge doesn't lead to relationship. On the contrary, in the Corinthian community, superior knowledge seems to have led to a condescending and even arrogant attitude. You think you know, Paul is saying, but clearly you don't get it. Love, he says later in the letter, love doesn't insist on its own way. There are ways that we choose to limit our freedom if we choose to be in a relationship. Now, we know this from our personal relationships. Anyone who is married knows that being empathetic and compassionate is almost always more important than being right although it is one of the hardest things for anyone to remember. And every once in a while, I imagine how much more I could get done if I could give my work my undivided attention. But I have a family. Most nights I'm home for dinner. I stayed home when my kids were sick. I've attended countless plays and concerts, and I make it to most of my son's basketball and baseball games, even when they're on Sundays after church. As I figure it, those are the limitations imposed by love. That is what I chose when I choose to be in relationship. And of course, I know that my life and my ministry are richer because of this choice. So there are times and situations when choosing relationship, choosing love, choosing community takes priority over our knowledge and our freedom both in our personal relationships and in the church. It depends on the situation, however. Paul's point is not that in every situation that arises in the Christian community, we should do whatever it takes not to upset our brothers and sisters. Sometimes it is necessary to do things that will cause offense to some. Sometimes avoiding conflict is neither good nor faithful. Paul himself models this in his letter and in these very verses. He's confronting people with their failure to build up community. And a general rule of never upset anybody, always be accommodating, 
would be nonsensical in relation to the life of Jesus. As usual, the Bible doesn't offer us simple answers and easy rules, but rather an opportunity to figure out what God is saying to us here and now. The message in Paul's letter that transcends the conversation about meat and that has survived over the centuries is that in Christian community, we are not to be neutral or detached from the suffering of our brothers and sisters or from our participation in it or our contribution to it, whether we agree with each other or not. The so-called knowledgeable Christians in Corinth weren't neutral, but they had detached themselves from the pain that they were inflicting. They were callous to it. Christian community is where we practice being the opposite of neutral and detached from other people's suffering. We notice that suffering, and we let it affect us, and we act accordingly. Author and theologian Brian McLaren writes that the church, above all, must be a school of love, a Jesus dojo, as he puts it. The church's goal is not simply to pump knowledge into people, but to train us in the ways of love so that we may do God's work. Church is not a school where you learn about love as much as it is a school where you learn to love. It's not simply a place where you amass information, but a community where we see living examples of Christ-likeness and thereby experience inner transformation. Being formed as Christ-like people means choosing community. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. American culture in particular encourages us to look out for number one, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, not have any needs that we can't take care of on our own. Survival of the fittest, dog-eat-dog, and what's-in-it-for-me are the lenses through which we often view each other and the larger world. So it's downright countercultural to make a priority of practicing community. Practicing community with people who are different from us, people with whom we might disagree, people whose lives look different from ours, people we might need to accommodate at times and who sometimes will need to accommodate us. Practicing community means listening to each other. It means taking each other seriously. It means being in relationship with people and caring what happens to them. Sometimes people wonder why churches have potlucks and pancake breakfasts and life stories groups and all the other fellowship events, or what difference it makes if people only come to church once every couple of months. It's because this is the way we build community. That's how we get to know each other and get to know each other's stories so that we cannot be neutral and detached. We grow in love for each other, and that means we pay attention to how our actions impact each other. This is our training ground, our Jesus Dojo. By practicing community in church, 
we prepare ourselves for being community in the world. And that not only transforms us, it transforms our world. Following worship today is our annual congregational meeting. The annual meeting is the time when a Presbyterian church as a whole congregation does the business of a congregation, which sounds mundane, but it's also a time when we receive the annual report, which describes our life together as a congregation over the past year. And that is anything but mundane. Our annual report is brief because we try to save paper, but in it you will see the myriad of ways that we have practiced community, ways that we chose community in 2014, ways we gave to each other, were there for each other, and ways we extended the love that we practiced into the world around us. And just as the church in Corinth did, we practice community around this table. This is the table where there is no head except Christ. No one is weaker or stronger. No one has more or less knowledge. There's no jockeying for position. Because all who share this feast are in communion with Christ. We are united as the body of Christ. As we recognize him in the breaking of the bread, we recognize him also in our brothers and sisters. As we give the bread to one another, saying, This is the body of Christ, we give ourselves to one another, everyone here, saying, We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. May we be neither neutral nor detached. May we choose community. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.